So signs come to support us. They are invited. They are the conversation that the universe or source or God, whatever you want to call it, is having with each one of us. And when we are open to that, our lives expand because ultimately what they mean is that the universe has your back. Hello, I'm Julie Kroll. Welcome. Your journey of conscious evolution continues right here, right now. Less than a month after I broke my leg in 2014, I had Simran Singh as a guest on The Dr. Julie Show. We were talking about her new book, Conversations with the Universe. We were visiting about my broken leg before the show. She asked how it happened. I gave her the same explanation that I had given many. I was consciously and mindfully walking down a hill, a steep, grassy slope, taking careful, small baby steps when I slipped. That was it. Slip, twist, crack. From carefully and mindfully walking down a familiar hill that I had walked down hundreds of times to multiple broken bones. During a commercial break, Simran caught me off guard. Julie, why are you walking downhill in life? Why are you walking down the same familiar path over and over? Why are you being so careful with each step, taking baby steps? Life is inviting you to leap forward with joy and abandon, not caution. You're meant to climb, play, dance, and rise to the top. Find your pinnacle. Move up and out into the world. Stop being so mindful and careful. Just do it. Simran is gifted at reading signs and symbols, revealing how repetitions, coincidences, and synchronicities are part of our personal conversation with the universe. This message was one I wasn't prepared to hear, but it reverberated over and over in my awareness until it became specific guidance for moving forward. That encounter, along with this major life event, literally changed the trajectory of my life. It was a turning point. Signs. What are they? How do they show up? And what do they teach us about humanity's future and potential. I invite you to take a few conscious breaths, bring your awareness to your heart, relax, open your mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as we introduce our guests. But first, my co-host, Dr. Paul Mills, is Professor of Public Health and Family Medicine at the University of California, San Diego. He has over 400 scientific publications in the fields of pharmacology, oncology, cardiology, psychoneuroimmunology, behavioral medicine, and integrative health. He's the author of the book, Science, Being, and Becoming, The Spiritual Lives of Scientists. And happy birthday, Paul. We're recording on your birthday. Thank you, Julie. Yeah, it's a great day. Well, it's my, my pleasure uh, to introduce one of our guests, and this is Dr. Cassie Veaton, also a very good and dear friend and, and a colleague in the scientific world. Cassie is a licensed clinical psychologist, a mind-body medicine researcher, and internationally recognized workshop leader and speaker. At the University of California in San Diego, she's a professor in the Department of Family Medicine. 
She's director of the Center for Mindfulness and also director of research at the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination. Cassie is former president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and she's also the author of several books, including Spiritual and Religious Competencies in Clinical Practice and also Mindful Motherhood. Welcome to the show, Cassie. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I have the pleasure of introducing Simran Singh, who I just referred to in the introduction. Simran is an author, an award-winning author of several books, including Signs, Everyday Encounters with Pathways, Turning Points, and Divine Guideposts, a book in the Common Sentience book series that we've been featuring She is a love catalyst, rebel humanitarian, and sacred soul activist. I love that. As the number one rated host of 1111 Talk Radio and publisher of Nautilus award-winning 1111 Magazine, Simon creates art, online courses, books, and media to bridge humanity's experience and expression. I love that phrase, to bridge humanity's experience and expression. Hopefully we'll do that today. A TEDx speaker, Simran, speaks about the beauty of our humanity in all of its expressions and the radiance of our divinity as an eternal experience. There it is again. Welcome, Simran. It's such a pleasure to be with all of you and so delightful to uh, re-engage this conversation about signs with you. Julie, it's, uh, I loved hearing that beginning story and it ties into what we were talking about before the show started. So yeah, there's so much here. I, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and really weaving in the spiritual wisdom with the science and, and all of us, our own lived experience at the same time. So Simran, I do want to start with our traditional first question here with you, because we, um, I've had a, a similar first question for nine years on the show. And I don't know if you remember answering it back in 2014, but today it probably means something different as we're looking at signs and this conversation that we're having. This series, Main Street Mystics, is a part of the Dr. Julie show, All Things Connected. And so I like to ask our guests, what does All Things Connected mean to you? And it's a a beautiful introduction to this topic. To me, all things connected means that we are pieces and parts of the divine puzzle, that each of us play a significant role in what we are here to experience and express upon the planet. And as we come more and more into fulfilling that piece so that the greater whole and the collective can fulfill its highest and best good, we start to realize how truly connected we all are and how we need each other and how our humanity and our divinity are these integral parts to seamlessly putting us together. And when we can embrace both our full humanity as well as shine that complete divinity, then all of a sudden we truly understand what the incarnation was all about. I have a question here. Uh, Cassie, I'd like to begin with you. In, in um, Simran's book, Signs, she describes different types of signs that we can encounter, including uh, you know, chance encounters, sacred encounters, divine guides, and so forth. And when I was reading that in the book, I was reminded of one of the stories you told in the book when I interviewed you, and I'm hoping you could share part of that here. 
And that was an encounter you had when you were in the midst of a life decision. You were trying to decide, should I go this traditional route or should I go a less traditional route, which is really where your heart was wanting you to go, but you were, you were conflicted, actually, you might recall. And you shared with me uh, an encounter you had with someone at a coffee shop. And for me, that was a chance encounter, really a sacred encounter, because it ultimately gave you the freedom to follow your heart's destiny. Will you, will you share that story with us, please? Yeah, Paul, you know, it was interesting. Speaking of synchronicities, I was just actually telling this story a few days ago to someone as well. And this was a time when I was uh, much younger. I was deciding which graduate school to go to. And on one hand, there was the traditional conventional route that was kind of what I had been taught to uh, know was the appropriate pathway for someone who was pursuing a career of meaning and worth. And there was another school that had absolutely captured my heart. Uh, I went to the California Institute of Integral Studies. And when I went on my college tours, I visited multiple different campuses. This one happened to be two blocks from Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco, across the street from the former home of the Grateful Dead with mandalas painted on the walls and incense floating out of the library windows on the fourth floor and curry smells floating out of the kitchen where Indian food was being made. This was a program that brought together Eastern philosophy and Western psychology and was accredited, but was quite non-traditional. And, you know, all of the logic told me, go the conventional route. Uh, All of the mentors told me, go the conventional route. And I ran into a woman and I asked her, what do you think I should do? She was 62 years old and she had just changed her own name to Sage. And she said, I waited my entire life to be who I wanted to be. Don't wait. And that changed my path. Cassie, that was a good story. And and oftentimes, and I heard, heard you, Paul, also talk about synchronicities. And I know, Simran, when we're talking about signs, you go so much more deeper and comprehensive than imagine it being quinky dinks or, or, or synchronicities of any sort. And you, you've written about this, you've studied this. It's literally changed the whole trajectory of your life. And I know that you've, you've talked about sacred encounters, turning points, which I mentioned in my story, divine guideposts. So this is a really good place for us to deepen into what are signs and and how we don't look at that as just coincidences, but really this conversation. Do you want to t- just give us a more comprehensive view of your opinion of what signs are and and our relationship with the universe? Yes, I loved what Cassie shared because that shows us how signs start appearing. I tell people you're not on a journey, you are the journey. You're not in the world. You are every piece and part of the world speaking back to you about you. Cassie illustrated that oftentimes the signs will appear when we are at a place of confusion, choice. Sometimes we're in a place of challenge or dysfunction. And oftentimes we are silently or sometimes out loud asking for a sign. 
And when we do that, it actually does appear and it can appear in all manner of ways. I talk about this in my first book, Conversations with the Universe, and I expound upon it in this new book, Signs, Sacred Encounters, because the signs can appear from anything like words or numbers in the way that they started with me to insects and birds and songs on the radio or books or billboards or license plates and all kinds of things like that to individuals that will appear on your path, whether they are saying the words or whether they are expressing a certain type of behavior. So signs can run the gamut between these individual divine guideposts that can serve as confirmation to these uh, larger encounters that can be something that sends you down a completely different path than where you originally thought, such as what Cassie did, to turning points in life, like you spoke about in the beginning, Julie, where some situation happens and it really does make you go completely 180 from where you're going and open up a whole new way of life. So signs come to support us. They are invited. They are the conversation that the universe or source or God, whatever you want to call it, is having with each one of us. And when we are open to that, our lives expand because ultimately what they mean is that the universe has your back. Whatever you're thinking about right in that moment Pause for a second, because it is either telling you that you are to go in a different direction and the universe has you, or it's asking you to go ahead and take a leap on that dream and that desire, desire Simone, that you have. Simone, is it more than intuition? You write about intuition and us listening and tuning in, but you also talked about, you know, animals and birds and mosquitoes and, you know, and so is it, how do you, how do you define that? Is it intuition? Is it more than intuition? I believe that the signs and symbols actually increase our level of intuition. They are what help us deepen into it. They help us deepen into levels of trust. Most of us don't realize starting out, especially on our spiritual path, that we don't trust life. We don't trust other people. We don't really trust the universe. And most importantly, we don't trust ourselves. And so these conversations begin appearing so that we can begin to learn to trust not only what's coming from this larger essence that we're all a part of, but ultimately in the choices and decisions that we make for ourselves and the way that we connect that inner to that outer. Ultimately, signs are here to illustrate to you that you're not alone and that you do have guidance, not just once in a while, not just something to pick up the phone and call a friend and say, oh my gosh, you won't believe what just happened. I just got a sign and then toss that over your shoulder and forget about it. But in fact, the signs are connected. And when you start to realize that, then you'll realize that the universe is actually speaking volumes to you. And when you start to stretch them across time, like I would ask you to do from that broken leg incident to uh, the phone incident that you're speaking of now, Julie, you'll find out that we also encounter echoes of signs. And those are profoundly expansive. And that's a unique difference in my new book. It goes into so much more that I've learned in the last 10 years about encountering signs and how to really put them together so we connect the dots and start to truly receive. Let me just, Paul, if you don't care, I want to expand on that one more piece that I think is foundational here before we dig into some science. And I, 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 I am looking forward to expanding on this more. But you also mentioned Simran 
that this is something we're all born with, this innate capacity, but we're conditioned to kind of limit ourselves and contain or, or constrict who we are with this relational piece with the universe. Can you say more about that? Yes, we all have been conditioned, you know, to such a degree to our environment, the way our families have have raised us or the way that we've been taught through media and marketing. And so we become so much smaller that ultimately our lives have to create this constriction. And I have this theory that I share in the in the book about where the signs actually stem from. And I'd love to hear Cassie's take on this with, with her background and the work that she does. But I believe that our inner child has much to do with this. I think that our soul and our inner child, along with the universe, that uh, triple braided cord, so to speak, have conspired to actually pre-plant the signs in our way to continuously tap us on the shoulder so that we are redirected to that divine soul path that we were intended to go to, in fact, remember the truth of who we are. And that's why we start to see the repetitions. The things start to appear repeatedly, not because the universe is dropping them repeatedly for its own sake, but because we've fallen so much asleep and have closed our eyes to such a degree to the truth of ourselves that sometimes it takes that much just to get our attention to start awakening to more of who we really are beyond the wounded child and beyond the societal conditioning that we've experienced. Uh, that's beautiful. I really appreciate that because I have noticed when people get in touch with, say, their inner wise child, not the wounded and the archetypal, but really that inner essence, it's extremely transformative for their lives. They begin to blossom and often move into new directions from where they had already been living. And I have a question about the uh, the category called divine guideposts, which you also speak about in your book as a type of sign. And, and it makes me wonder, do we as people have more of a propensity to be open to one kind of sign, say, versus another? For me, when I read the divine guidepost, it really resonated because from uh, during the course of my life, most of my major, let's say, transitions and even transformations have come from and encountering really a divine being, a being not in the material world, but in the spiritual world that I encounter. They, they come to me, let's say there's something happens and there's a transformation. And I haven't encountered many people who have had those types of, so I'm wondering why that type and not that type from one person to another. I believe it's based on how aware we are of our own internal the more sensitive and open we become to all parts of ourselves, the more we start to balance our masculine and feminine sides, our left and our right brains. I feel like we open up channels within ourselves that are more receptive to the many ways of communication. For some, the divine guideposts end up really being about confirmation. Knowings that they have within themselves, the divine guideposts simply help us to really believe in ourselves as equally divine. And the reason that the book is divided up in these different sections, pathways, turning points, divine guideposts, is because different signs will actually behave in different ways. In my first book, Conversations with the Universe, I talk about different signs being nouns, verbs, adjectives, or punctuation. And that's another way of looking at how the signs 
signs appear because they do tend to lead us based on where we are, where we've grown personally, and also our spiritual expansion. They'll lead us in a certain way until we're ready to really hold something that's bigger. The truth is, you know, so many people want to encounter divine beings, but if they would, it would probably blow their mind. It has to happen when we're ready for that. It has to happen when we've prepared ourselves. And for that reason, we'll create a lot of different types of signposts along the way to open our awareness to even be able to handle those. Sorts I of imagine, things. Cassie, you would love to jump in here. And Simran invited your opinion about the source of where that comes from. And I'm, I'm curious, both from a personal level, Cassie, with your own lived experience and the scientific orientation of, of your decades of work. I'm, I'm curious where you're at with all of this. Yeah, and I'm glad you put it that way, because that's exactly what I was going to say is, okay, I can answer from my personal perspective, I can answer from a philosophical perspective, and I can answer from a scientific perspective. And of course, the boundaries between those three are much more permeable than most people would like to admit. I would say on a personal level, you know, a a quote that really resonates with me is when we take one step toward God, he takes a 100 toward us. And you know, this is the idea, and I can drift into my scientific self here, that I've been able to interview and survey thousands of people who have experienced massive positive transformations in their life from a way of being that is more limited and narrow, fearful, conditioned, you know, driven by ego and achievement and accolades and approval and, you know, all these things that we all know little pieces of this, right? Um, to either going through a really positive transformative experience of awe and wonder and bliss and, you know, something tremendously gorgeous that shifts their mindset, but actually much more often a real hitting bottom, an injury, a near-death experience, loss of a loved one, you know, decomposition, hitting bottom with an addiction that really does sort of shatter their old defenses. And, you know, you don't really wish it on anyone. Like that's not the most fun way to do it, but sometimes it's the most necessary. But what people tell us is that as they're journeying along the path toward having a life that is centered in love, that's oriented by service, that is kind of flavored with truth and beauty and justice and sacredness and, meaning, hope, and leadership, and all of these things that happen when people really shift their mindsets is they start to have more signs and synchronicities. They just have these inexplicable things happen that are absolutely almost impossible to explain in any other way than that we live in an enchanted world, that we live in a living a living reality, not that there are some of us who are alive who are walking through a dead and separate reality, but that we are part of an interconnected and living reality. And not only that, that there is a sort of bandwidth of that reality. If you think about, we can only see certain frequencies of light, and then there's light we can't see outside of those frequencies. It's pretty big. We can only hear certain ranges of sound, but there's lots of sound that humans can't hear. This is sort of similar that there's a level of reality, ordinary reality that we all perceive. And then there are levels of reality that we don't always perceive. 
but that through these practices of meditation and yoga and qigong and tai chi and prayer and Sufi dancing and I mean, hundreds, infinite practices, we can begin to tap into those different dimensions. And those dimensions have different rules than ordinary reality. They don't necessarily have to stay. They don't have to be in proximity. They don't have to be in proximity in space and they don't have to be in proximity in time. So then you do start to have these synchronicities that seem to be inexplicable, but My personal and philosophical view is that you're probably tapping into this aspect of reality that it actually probably imbues all of reality. It's just sort of behind it a little bit. And that then you start to have these magical things happen. From a scientific perspective, there is some evidence that this may be true. And this evidence is gaining over time that Time is not as linear as we thought it was. Space is not as distant as we thought it was. You know, all of these kind of engineering metaphors for life work with physical objects and our bodies, but they're not the only thing that's at play. And there's a whole other system working that isn't, can't be uh, subjected to an engineering um, metaphor. In this magical space, the reason that we don't see signs all the time is not because they're not happening, because I will tell you the signs, the symbols and the synchronicity are moment by moment. They are ever present. They are all the time. But if you could imagine that each one of us has like a a dark cape over our heads and we're peeking through a little tiny hole, we're only going to grab one sign at a time every so often. But the more that we have self-awareness that that cape comes down and then we start to notice more signs. And when we expand ourselves and we take the cape off completely, all of a sudden we realize the signs are actually everywhere and everything. And that is just this more awakened perspective to ourselves and to life, which, which then we're in this relationship. We are, we're both the inhale and the exhale. We're realizing that we are on life support. We have always been. It's just a matter of us realizing that that is an ever-present reality. In truth, science was my personal growth path. I wasn't one that followed a bunch of teachers. I didn't go to a bunch of workshops. I didn't have a bunch of practices. I didn't do hardly any of that. When my life hit that moment of dysfunction and deep pain, kind of like Cassie was talking about, and unfortunately, most of us have to get there and do. We hit the pebbles, the rocks, and the boulders until that boulder is strong enough to kind of whack us on the head and sit us down. But when that happened and I started encountering the numbers 1111 and 11 and 111, it was that repetition that kept happening where I started to realize it was connected to what I was thinking in the moment. And if the universe could speak to me through numbers, how many other ways can the universe speak to me? And that began this exploration. And when I started to look at everything in life as a sign, my personal and spiritual growth expanded exponentially. And so for individuals that are looking for a simple path that is measurable, that allows them to truly see who they are in every single moment, signs will do that for you because you cannot deny what is showing up in your experience. And when you recognize that what's showing up in front of me is actually me speaking back to me, it takes you deeper and deeper within your own conditioning, your psyche, your emotional intelligence, to start to understand and embrace parts of yourself 
that you never would have before. And then when you can do that, you won't be as judging outside. You'll grow your compassion, your love, your connectivity to those outside of you because you'll see the relationship. You mentioned something really beautiful. Uh, I, I love the cloak thing, Simran. And um, sorry, Paul, I know you probably want to get in here, but Cassie mentioned love. And there were two descriptions in the book. I'm going to read a quote because they're both significant. And I think you'll all appreciate it. I'd love to hear Cassie and Paul's reflection on this. This first quote, I'll just start with it. Every step made through following your signs is an act of self-love. This interconnection with life builds your beautiful tapestry of creative capacity. This journey is how source experiences your soul's signature. Engage in the dance of creation and experience your unique soulful harmony. What you have been seeking is also seeking you. I love this idea of self-love, like that listening, that developing this really is a relationship with ourself as well as a relationship with self as the universe, as the conscious living universe that we live in. I wonder if Paul or Cassie have any feedback and, and feel free to jump in too, Simran, of the signs being self-love. Well, I just love that idea. And sometimes when people talk about this in, in the people that I've interviewed and surveyed, it seems to kind of boil down to like, am I in alignment or am I out of alignment? And so sometimes I think about it like a three-dimensional spider web. This comes from Hindu tradition that's permeating all of reality. And we go a little bit further and say, you know, when I'm on the beam, when I'm on my thread, when I'm in alignment, and people know this from the body's energy meridians and, you know, all of these ideas I feel like I personally get more synchronicities and signs when I'm more in alignment. And then when I fall out of alignment is when I'm sort of feeling disconnected, things aren't matching up, they're not syncing. Now Simran might be able to teach me the signs I should be looking for then because I'm sure they're there too. And maybe they're more like red flags, like go back, go get an alignment listening, listening to when am I in alignment? When am I not in alignment? And sometimes the signs point to things that you're like, really? Are you sure? (laughs) But when we listen to them and we really take them into account, I find that it is an act of self-love, that it is, it's making a decision that's true to myself and my intuition as opposed to maybe the conditioning and the, the conditioning of society. I, I very much appreciate that. And uh, I'm still in the back of my mind, just enjoying the word enchantment that we live in an enchanted world that you, you spoke to Cassie and then you Simran and reminds me of so many of the mythologies and the fairy tales where everything is known to be connected. And that's the beauty of it. And per the, the self love and self compassion. Well, that, that is so beautiful because so many of the traditions that teach us awakening to our own nature, which is love, which is awareness itself, you come to see the universe as yourself. And then I can see based on our conversation, how at that moment, in that state of consciousness, it's you see all the signs, because it's you just communicating back to you, which is something Simran, you wrote in the book, you wrote life is not only connected, but also interconnected and reflective. It is a web 
based like what you just spoke about, Indra's web, Cassie. It's a web that mirrors you, life guides you, it speaks to you about you. I, I would love to to state that my feeling is that our one true purpose here from the soul perspective is self-love. Our ego will make up a whole lot of other purposes for us, but I think ultimately our one true purpose is self-love, and that is a ginormous course just all on its own. I think that we each want to be seen, heard, and acknowledged. We spend our lives trying to be seen, heard, and acknowledged, and the universe is infinite in its wisdom because it realizes how distracted we are, that we are constantly looking out to try to find things to fill us up, to try to find things to make us love ourselves better. So it uses the outside as the signs. And all of the beautiful signs are the ones that we fall in love with, the butterflies and the rainbows and you know those moments of kismet that we, we encounter that feel like the alignment that Cassie was speaking of. But I have come to realize that we also have a set of unorthodox signs that show up all of the time. And they are equally, if not more valuable, because they show us the unconscious parts of ourselves. They show us the places where we're out of alignment. And these will be things like a flat tire, can be a burst pipe in your home. It can be a marriage that's falling apart. It can be a bounce check. It can be a phone going blank and not being able to turn it on. So there are all these different things that show up that are also speaking to us about us. And I think the most subtle part about signs is it's teaching us to become more neutral, more neutral about how we view everything in life. Because when we can get to the point where we equally value the giggle of a child or a rainbow to uh, an experience that we see on TV that is heartbreaking or uh, some mishap in our own life or our own home, when we can hold those equally with as equal reverence, then all of a sudden we really have achieved a state of oneness because oneness is both the light and the dark. It's not one or the other. And the signs help us to realize that slowly and steadily, the more we're willing to embrace these different faces of ourselves the enchanted world is more than light and dark too. I want to read another quote because I think this is a fun way of looking at signs. And Simran, you're a beautiful writer, so I've got to I've got to read your words here. Life sends signs, and each arrives in a uniquely loving way and in conspiracy for greater good. The universe has a quirky sense of humor too. Give way to its playful interaction, engage this adventure without limitation, and awaken to divine direction, and you will begin looking at life as a compass. I love this idea of the quirky sense of humor, and I I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, yes, we love rainbows and butterflies, and yes, we get a flat tire or a dead phone, but what about all the fun, playful ways that the universe engages in a sense of humor? I'm just going to open this to whoever wants to jump in here on this one. You know, I think that what we forget is that um, we love going to adventure parks We love haunted houses and halls of mirrors. We love roller coasters. We love bungee cord jumping. Like we love all these things and we pay for them and we get it for free in life. We get it all the time. We have tons of roller coasters in our relationships. You know, sometimes we can meet the most terrifying of experiences. We can oftentimes uh, encounter every type of mirror 
that is out there, it's really understanding that we are on a playground of life. And if we really will embrace it that way, then the hard won't be so hard and the easy will just be fun. Hmm. I'll tell you during, during our conversation, I think for the first time, it's really landed on me, this idea that signs are everywhere all the time, every single thing going on. I, I finally have in, ingested that. So thanks for that. That's, that's beautiful. And I want to ask a question that has to do with imagination. Uh, Simran, earlier you spoke about the role of intuition as this developing this uh, expansive ability to see and take in signs. But I'm wondering about imagination too. And Cassie, you're director of research for this Arthur C. Clarke Center Institute on a Human Imagination. And what are your thoughts about that? How does that play into all this utilizing our imagination? And, and it, it's, of course, highly expansive capabilities for us. Yeah, I mean, imagination is something that almost everyone can identify with, um, mostly visual imagination. So I can all I can ask everybody here to say, imagine an elephant and everyone will have various images of elements, elephants immediately, which is kind of cognitive magic. Um, but I also believe that imagination is one of the ways that we can reach our perception into the impossible or the improbable or the future or into the past or into a different place. So imagination is also not limited by conventional notions of space and time and imagination is something that we don't typically train in schools, in programs. In fact, we, mod we sort of modify people away from imagination. So for those of us who are older, maybe Paul and I, we remember that so many of our ways of evaluating what we learned was multiple choice exams. And I mean, this is the opposite of imagination, right? It's like there's only one right answer and it's only of four choices. And so many people, I think, end up living their lives kind of like that. Like there's one right answer and there are kind of four choices when in fact there's infinite, infinite um, choice, infinite possibility. And imagination is the skill that allows us to perceive infinite possibility. And so one of the things we're working on at the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination is to understand imagination, not just as a fundamental human capacity, that is very important and crucial to who we are and how we move forward, but also a skill that can be practiced, can be trained. And so when we do that, when we begin to dance with the imagination of the universe and our own imagination and start to play, that's when incredible things happen. Thomas Edison, as you all know, was such an incredible inventor and he said, I never invented anything. I was like the needle on a phonograph. So his imagination, he knew, was coming through him, not necessarily from him. And I think that's where we really start to find some incredible magic happen is when we open our imagination, not just to what we can think of as possibilities, but what can bubble up and effervesce through us and out into inventions and, you know, books, art, music, theater, every single thing that we've ever built came from the seed of someone's imagination. 
I talk about deja vu. I talk about all these different ways that signs and symbols actually speak to us. And I believe that the imagination is one of those places that also shows us the signs and symbols that our subconscious is trying to illustrate to us. I use a lot of art therapy uh, or creative writing when I work with individuals to help them understand the signs that their subconscious is trying to speak into them. And so when we allow that imagination to bubble up, we're tapping into the underworld signs that exist within us. And in my own life, what I've learned is when we're willing to really immerse within who we are and we tap into all of our emotional intelligence and we are willing to know our mental body and we are willing to know our imagination, there comes a point where we move beyond those doorways to the collective imagination, the collective mind, the collective emotional intelligence. And then we're able to cipher even greater information from there. And the more we open, the more we get. And ultimately it just helps us to see that we stem from that infinite source and that there's a well of information that we can tap into, but we only know it to the degree that we're willing to know ourselves. And Simran, it seems like one of the things that you point to, and, you know, I'd love to talk about this is it doesn't take that much really. You know, if you can, if you just start to open a tiny bit, then a lot comes flooding in. And I did want to share one experience that was also back to the funny question, which is every year near the end of the year, for many years now, I've decided I want to have sort of a companion animal for the coming year. So sometime in the last two weeks of December, I'll look for an animal that is going to cross my path in some unusual way. And then in the last few years, it's always come as a dream or something internal as opposed to an external animal. So I had a dream a few years ago that I was laying on my back on a street with my daughter and over us, kind of like a cow jumping over the moon or a, something jumping a fence was a raccoon, but it was had a white face and a you know red hair and a striped tail and it jumped over us. And I got up and I was like, what is a red-headed striped raccoon? So I looked it up and it said, oh, this is a red panda. I was like, red panda? What is, oh, I didn't even know there were red pandas. That's great. That's amazing. So I was driving down the street going, can it really be your your animal for this year if you if you didn't know, like you don't even know about it and it doesn't live in your habitat? And I looked next to me in a U-Haul truck, drove up and on the side of it, was an enormous red panda. And I just was like, okay, all right, I see. That seems to be the one, you know? So those things just opening up to even one question, what is my animal for this year? Or, you know, something like that has turned out to be such a, a wonderful way of at least re-enchanting my world. I love that. <laughs> Me too. I've, I've never even contemplated that. I've got to get my hood further down to be open to the humorous signs that the conscious universe, my own self, is giving me all the time. When I was seeing the 1111s constantly, I saw them for about four weeks, uh, about 50 times a week. I mean, they were literally on everything. And then there was a point I had to take someone to rehab and I had dropped him off. And it was a really emotional moment leaving him there. And I came to this railroad crossing where the arm came down and I put my head on the steering wheel and I was 
crying and all of a sudden the train is passing and they honk um, while they're passing. And I look up and there's a giant 1111 on every single boxcar. And you can't make this stuff up, you know, and I've also found, you know, that we can be in a place where we see a sign and someone can be with us and they don't see it. Or we can have two people seeing the same sign and it will have two different meanings for them. And that's where I teach people we actually do have our own dialect and immersing in our imaginations, our creative capacity, or simply moving beyond you know, Google and books and all these things that we try to run and fill up our mind with and really deepening into the body, breathing deeply and asking, what does this mean to me? You start to get those insights and that deepened intuition that really does help you expand your connection, not only to yourself, but that greater divine essence. I'm wondering if if there's a healthy flow to this. I know so many people who are just totally guided and and it's this moment by moment guidance that's very grounded and yet very divine human um and and really works and then there are those who it feels like they're like in a tunnel looking for the guidance and only moving with that but then it's creating a disconnect and dysfunction in their life because they're they're waiting for that sign instead of moving with the flow of, of life and the universe. I'm wondering, uh, Cassie and Simran, if either of you have any insight into this being this integrated part of our psyche or our life experience and moving forward, when does it become disconnected and unhealthy? Or I don't know, what what's your opinion on that? I can start just as I talked about having the cover over your head and peeking through. Oftentimes when we're doing that, it's because we're living in the past and we keep projecting into the future. We're not really present. And when we're not present, we're not going to notice what's around us. We're not going to notice the signs. The more present we become, the more aligned and the more we see everything, the more we can be guided by every little dot and breadcrumb that comes our way. And it's more about individuals really understanding that it's because they're so frenetic that they are not tapping into the things that they want as guidance and they're only picking up on certain parts of it. So that's how I would answer that. Cassie, what do you think with your research? Well, you know, the study that I mentioned earlier where we studied all these people who had had these positive transformations in their lives and tried to figure out what were the mechanisms, how did it happen? We did have some findings that were quite paradoxical that we would ask people, you know, what is the most important thing that you learned or, you know, what are some of the key approaches or, you know, if, if one, if someone was going to take any one thing from your entire path, what would it be? And we had this interesting finding that about exactly half of the people said, you know, it's important that you surrender and you go with the flow and you look for the signs and you allow yourself to be guided and get out of the way. It's the most important thing is to mm-hmm. get out of your own way and let life flow through you. Then we had people about half who were like, the most important thing is that every morning you set your intention and you employ your will to walk deliberately through every day 
with intention, with agency, with making the decisions that are in alignment with who you are and how you're meant to be. And in truth, it really is both. It's both. It's, it's not that the second one um, can't be ego-driven, but to be deliberate, to hold intention, to move ahead, even when things are unclear, and then also to allow everything to flow through you and to surrender and go with the flow. These two things are almost like a yin-yang. They work together. And I have to say, as a psychologist, um, in my early training in particular, I did work with a lot of people who suffered from a lot of negative, maladaptive, magical thinking, I guess we would call it in the psychology realm. You know, people are pumping fumes into my apartment. You know, there's microphones and all of the lamps in my house and the radio is talking to me. And if I ever see these numbers, I know that I have to walk through the door 400 times. And, you know, those kinds of things can happen to people. And, you know, it seems simplistic, but I think maybe people would agree that when you look at these kinds of thinking patterns, practices, and they result in greater fear, greater constriction, greater cruelty, more exclusion, less physical health, less emotional health, mm-hmm. bad relationships, that's probably not the good ones. <laughs> you know? And the other ones, the opposites, you know, you can kind of tell by the fruits what a practice is doing. So I would recommend that people who are listening to this, there is a shadow side of sign interpretation and Simran, I'm sure can speak to this better than I can. And it's, I I think it's just looking at what are the results? What are the outcomes? What's happening? How do you feel? How healthy do you feel afterwards and while you're doing it? And that can be a differentiator. You know, I usually tell people and I'll say it again, you're not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. And when I realized that last statement, that I'm experience experiencing itself, it took off all the pressure of anything because I was just here to experience. So whether it was a negative experience or a positive experience, I was able to now walk through it as simply experience experiencing itself. We can wrap fear or love around anything. And it's, it's what we do with that that makes all the difference in the world as to our experience. Because if we wrap fear around it, we're going to set ourselves into extreme states of anxiety. We're going to become paranoid. We're going to make up all these things that aren't true. And if we embrace it with love, we're going to see things in a certain perspective that is more life-giving and more of light. I share a story within the book about a woman that contacted me and she was completely frantic because Uh, a number was being given to her church, an address or phone number or something. And it was 666. And she was horrified that that set of numbers would be associated with her church. And she just didn't want to have it, but there was no choice because the government agency said, this is what the number is. And she wrote to me about it. And I explained to her 666 is something that was propagated by the movie industry that that number actually is a very, very beautiful angel number. And it's very positive And it actually means house of light. It's going to draw forward people to the light. I said, so there could not really be a more ideal number <laughs> for this church than this number. But look at what you're doing with it. That's where the real growth is for you is how do you do this with everything else? Do you hold things from a place of love or are you ready to scare yourself 
into some type of frantic uh, control that you have to have. And that's ultimately what the signs are here for. I don't think anything outside of us should control us to such a degree that it becomes the be all of how we do everything. I think that regardless of whether it's signs or a practice or a teacher or a book or anything that you're looking at, if it has more control over you than your own inner authority, then that's the real problem because everything is really intended to empower you in your own sense of self and grounding in your true power. And when it does that, then you can be a true light in the world. But if you're allowing other things to control you, then you're creating your own oppression. This, this is such a profoundly uh, beautiful and uh, important conversation we're having right now. And it, for me, it's just so resonant with all the ancient wisdom traditions, which have such deep, profound knowledge and, of course, wisdom as guidance. And this is just what we're speaking to. And the importance of the love, of course, and the equanimity and to cultivate that. And then then things open up. I love that. You know, it... it I agree. This is an important conversation. And so with that reflection, Paul, I want to turn to you, Simran and Cassie, and I'll I'll start with you, Cassie, as the scientist of how do we normalize this? One of the the subtitles for our Main Street Mystic is normalizing the non-ordinary. What do we need to do to really encourage this grounded, um, constructive way of moving through our world in this, like really trusting what we may not see here, you know, everything like you were talking about with our senses before yesterday, I was on a walk and I'm walking and I was listening to, no, first I smelled, I'm walking by this house and I smell wood being cut, you know, when a saw will burn wood and I'm smelling and I'm hearing the saw and I'm going, well, where does smell come from? We all believe our senses because we could smell it, but where, how does smell get here? And then I'm hearing the saw going and we hear, it's like that sixth sense. Why don't we trust that more? So how, this is my question to you after a long introduction, how do we normalize the non-ordinary and really help our listeners and the world to really adopt this relationship with themselves and the living universe that we live in? Well, one of the things that I've been very connected to for my whole career is seeing if we can help to break down some of the arbitrary boundaries that have been set up between the inner world and the outer world, between science and spirituality. And, you know, there was a good reason for these barriers to be built at one point in time where, to be really honest, the world had come to a very dark and rooted in negative superstition place. And that was where people were being asked to disavow what they knew was right in favor of the church doctrines, which ended up in these awful things like the Crusades and the Inquisition. And so when science was first kind of birthed in Western, you know, allopathic kinds of separatist science, it was actually revolutionary. It was the enlightenment, they called it, because we finally got to say, okay, you guys stay over there with all of your, you know, subjective stuff, we're going to try to use some objectivity. And since that time, because of that objectivity, we have been able to double, 
human lifespan and, you know, sanitize the waters and reduce disease and mortality in, in these incredible ways and suffering. The problem is that was a false distinction that was set up for that purpose. Now we're facing issues as a species and as a planet that require the dropping of that divide. And so as if we can allow what we learn from spirit and what we learn from science to, if not blend with each other, at least talk over the fence, that will be something that can really help humanity. Um, when I worked at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where I still am a senior fellow, a lot of people would come to us and talk about the science we did, which if you're not familiar with it and you're listening, had to do with scientifically investigating these kinds of experiences, psychic phenomena, ESP, precognition, getting a hunch or a gut feeling or being able to, quote, guess something before it happened, which isn't really a guess. It's like a future perception um, and finding that those experiences have some observable scientific reality, that there is uh, larger than chance and in some cases much larger than chance uh, effects that we can see. And so it begins to give some evidence. And people would come and say, you're just validating my experience. You're validating my experience with science. And so science is not the only way by far to know truth about things, but it is a powerful way. And for some people, it's really helpful. And especially for those little logical left brains of ours, you know, giving it a little evidence kind of opens the permission to be like, okay, now I can really explore this stuff, you know? I talk to people about not just being the visionary, but now becoming the mystic. And that means that we must move beyond just the light, love and positivity conversation, because so often that can be one that is really more about escapism than it really is about grounding that within our planet. And that's why signs are so valuable and important, especially if we're willing to look beyond the momentary or the ones that we want to see and really embrace all of the signs that are appearing. When we can get to a place that we can say, okay, this war in the Ukraine, where is that in me? Where am I at war within myself? Where is the dominant part of me taking over the other part of me? Or we can look at a banking system crashing and we ask ourselves, where is my relationship to self? Where is my wealth? Where is my value? Where do I look at the currency that I bring into every relationship that I have? When we look at shootings at a school and we sit there and we ask ourselves, where have I killed off my little child? Where have I destroyed the inner child within me? Where am I doing that in my home or in my community or ignoring them? Where's the anger that is within me that will kill off people with my words or my thoughts or my actions? All of these things pose beautiful mirrors and reflections for us if we're willing to have the courage to delve inside and see the many layers and levels that we are. We are multidimensional beings, which means that we're beyond our identity, that this far-reaching idea of a God above and outside of us is part of what creates this dualistic world that we have here, only when we can embrace the relationship that we have within the heart of God that we are part of this beautiful, loving and divine essence that surrounds this entire planet. And that within that, we have created within ourselves whatever darkness that was required to help us go back 
to those beliefs, those miscreations that we have developed in our own psyche, in our own bodies, and allow those to come to a place of neutrality. Only then can we be sacred soul activists. That is true sacred activism. If we're willing to do that level of work in our own lives, that will ripple out in the world in a tremendous way. And so when I tell people one person can change the world, I really mean it. Because if each one of us do that degree of inner work, it can only ripple out energetically and also in physical action. And ultimately, that's how we can all serve. Both of you, thank you so much. That was brilliant. I really appreciate everything that you shared during this conversation. It was really potent and powerful. And Paul, I'm going to turn to you for any last words before we close. Yeah. To reiterate, again, such a profoundly important uh, material and interview. Thank you both. I also want to add for our listeners, those of you who feel perhaps you haven't been as attuned to signs in your life as you can be based on our conversation. And the third part of the book, Signs, that Simran wrote, is it's a whole section on exercises and things you can do to really begin to cultivate this phenomenon and, and becoming aware and waking up to it. So I encourage you to get the book. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Simran. Thank you, Cassie. And listeners, I want to leave you with the words of Simran from the book, Sign. Signs, plural, signs. The intelligence of the universe is boundless. It is always connected to you and desires to strengthen its connection with you. It is up to you to cultivate a real desire to converse with the universe. Be steadfast. You must be willing to receive the communications, no matter how they show up or from whom they come. Answers can come from any source the possibilities are endless. When the universe is speaking, you need only respond with a yes. I'm Julie Kroll. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. This is the Main Street Mystic Series with co-host Paul J. Mills. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, we're sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Special thanks to Dr. Julie Krull, Paul Mills, and Cassandra Vietin. To find out more about Dr. Julie Krull, please consider supporting The Dr. Julie Show at patreon.com backslash allthingsconnected. When we each give a little, we all get a little more. You can stay in touch with me at juliekrullemail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.